Chapel. We begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, today you will see the uh, service begins with a morning prayer, and let us rise as we join together and sing that prayer together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. You may be seated. Way back in the very early church, people took to heart Jesus' command that we should learn all things that he had commanded us. And so very early on in the early church, uh, they started to develop a calendar of certain readings that would be read at certain Sundays of the year. Probably the ones we're most familiar with, all of us, would be like Christmas and Easter and things like that. But every Sunday was set aside, uh, and after a number of years, uh, there became a sort of a, a series of readings that would be read on each of these Sundays. Uh, the reading that we're going to have before us today is for the 12th Sunday in the season of Trinity. And this was a, a season in the church year when Christians would focus on things about their faith and aspects of their faith. And um, the reading that we have before us is the gospel reading. So they always had at least an epistle and gospel reading for each of these Sundays. And uh, often Old Testament lessons were added too. And that way they made sure you would hear the whole counsel of God in a year. Uh, so that the pastor wouldn't just preach on a hobby horse like prayer or something all the time. And uh, so as you see, our, uh, our chapel is laid out kind of based on that series um, and uh, the texts that we have each week sort of fit together, usually with some theme that is from that week of that ancient historic, it's called the pericope, uh, the historic lectionary series of readings. So our reading for today is the same one you may have heard in church yesterday from the Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 32. Then they brought to Jesus one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephtha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. The local police would strip search him, would tie him up and shackle him up, and then they would lock him up in the local jail. And the people outside would wait to see how long till he got out. Sometimes it was just a matter of minutes. The great Harry Houdini 
the great illusionist back in the early 20th century, made a lot of money by amazing people with feats of uh, tremendous acrobatic strengths and magical tricks. And uh, he later in his career developed a thing called the water torture cell. It was a special chamber, a glass chamber. He would be hung above it and uh, uh, would be dropped into this water chamber and had to loosen himself from usually chains, sometimes a straight jacket to try to get out of it. Ultimately, it's something that probably brought an uh, early death to him. David Copperfield, who's a modern-day illusionist and magician, actually owns that chamber and uh, bought it from his estate years later. It's estimated that Harry Houdini in today's money would probably be making about $8 million a year. Why is that something that's so fascinating to us? Why do magicians like Pete Bladel fascinate us so much? We, are, we love to be astonished. We love to be amazed by things that appear, at least, to kind of bend the rules of nature, to kind of uh, manipulate the laws of nature. And a lot of times, some of the viral videos that go out, too, are things that just amaze us. We'll pass them on to friends because it's so hard for us to figure out how could this happen. It, uh, it seems as if someone is manipulating the laws and rules of nature. People have always been like this. They're just like us today, back in Jesus' day. They were fascinated by things that, that were miraculous, things that, that were above and beyond any explanation. We're told in the Gospels that large crowds followed Jesus because they saw the miraculous signs he was performing on those who were sick. And if you and I had been living back then, I bet there were many a times we would have said to somebody that hadn't heard about Jesus, you got to come and see this guy. you got to come and watch this. We may think that a certain curiosity in us would be satisfied, or maybe even somehow our faith might get stronger if we've been able to actually witness one of the real miracles. There are about 40 of them mentioned in the gospel lessons alone, uh, events where Jesus did something that was beyond the laws of nature. Even the local historian of Jesus' era in that first century, a man by the name of Josephus, who was not a Christian, a Jewish historian from that community, even he says this, Jesus was one who performed surprising deeds. Jesus' enemy, Herod, Herod, who had him come to him on trial, did so because he wanted to see him perform a miracle. Now, Jesus certainly uses these situations like the one in our text of this man who comes to him. He uses these situations to show love and concern and compassion for individuals. We don't want to overlook that at all. And uh, that's part of the reason for his healing and, and doing these tremendous miracles. But it's also very clear from the Bible that this was really not Jesus' primary mission. In fact, there were times when the, the fact that people were so so impressed by these things that Jesus refuses to do them at times. Sometimes he even removes himself from situations where large crowds are gathering around him simply to see him do something that is so miraculous. Jesus did not come into this world. His mission was not just to come to provide you and me or people with earthly relief. Not that he couldn't do that at times and not that he didn't have the compassion and care in his heart to want to do that at times. 
But his real mission was to provide us eternal relief and heavenly relief. I remember one night when I was a child, we were reading a devotion about the young man of Nain. It was always one of my favorite stories, how Jesus stopped the funeral procession and came up and had this young man sit up and gave him back to his mom and everything. And at the end of the devotion, I remember my dad said to us kids, how old do you think this young man was when he finally died again? I never thought of that. <laughs> That's right, he died again, didn't he? What about this man with the, with the speech impediment where Jesus performs this miracle? Did he possibly have a stroke later in life so he maybe couldn't speak again? Or people that were blind that he healed? Did they possibly get cataracts later on in their life? Jairus' 12-year-old daughter that he, that he uh, so miraculously brings back to life from the dead? Did she possibly contract another disease and die before she was 30 years old? We just don't know. God doesn't give us those answers. But the reality of all those things I just mentioned shows that the real purpose of Jesus' mission was not to give people earthly relief through miraculous events, as wonderful as they were. Now, there was to be no doubt that the person performing this event, this, this miracle, had to be God himself. In fact, no one else would be allowed to take credit. Listen to how the Holy Spirit gives us details about the miracle so that it's clearly obvious it had to be Christ. He took him aside. He put his fingers in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. Looking at, not in COVID time, right? But he spat and he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he spoke to him. It's as if the Holy Spirit wants us to realize no one is going to steal the glory away from the Son of God for performing this miracle because he and he alone is the one who is above all laws of nature and capable of performing this. Jesus now, in this miracle, packages up all of his supreme power as the ruler of the universe, as the creator of all things. He's the one who packages up all of his power and chooses to put it of all places into just... A few brief words. One word, ephetha, ephetha, be opened. And miraculously through that proclamation of his word, this miracle takes place. And that's the same powerful word that Jesus uses when he speaks to us through the word he's given us in scripture today. And through the mouths of sinful people who proclaim that word accurately. That powerful word of Christ is what comes into our hearts and creates the miracle, yeah, the miracle of faith in you and in me. The miracle of faith to actually grab what Christ did on the cross and make it our own so we could have life in heaven. And he continues to use this powerful word that he used in that man's case in our lives today. Every time a pastor baptizes a little child, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, connecting Christ's command and word to that water. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper and he says, do this, speak my words over the bread and the wine. Every time your pastor stands in front of you and declares your sins forgiven for Jesus' sake, absolving you. Every time the message about Jesus Christ is preached in the world, and the wonderful forgiveness of sins goes out, and the, the hope of everlasting life in him, all of that is packaged in that precious word. 
We can take a lot of great comfort in this account that we have in front of us. We, uh, we maybe don't like to think about it, but a day is coming when all of our tongues will be frozen in death. Our eyes will be frozen in death as well. Our hearts will stop. But this powerful Savior has promised that he is going to come down from heaven, as Paul says, with a loud command, and the dead in Christ will arise first. Think what an amazing day that will be in your future life, when as a child of Christ, as a believer in him, he will come over your grave, where your stopped mouth is laying in a grave, and he will loosen that tongue again, to sing his praises eternally. He will loosen your eyes and open them once again to see the glories of the mansions of heaven. He will open up your ears once again to be able to hear the angelic choirs in the mansions of heaven. What a glorious day that will be. Amen. Let us pray. And today we keep in our prayers uh, our Dean of Students, Andy Schmidt, who has been diagnosed with COVID. We pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you on behalf of your servant, Andy Schmidt. We pray that you would be with him in this time of trial and difficulty. Uh, we pray that if it is your will, that you would grant him healing and recovery from this dreadful disease. We also pray for the many who work in health care and who have placed themselves in harm's way in order to take care of your people and the people of our communities. We pray that you would bring an end to this uh, sad disease in our midst and uh, that you would keep all of us safe according to your gracious care. We ask it all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. And let us rise to sing our closing hymn.
And now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.